Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Ransville PR, and this is our We Built This City podcast. This podcast is made of the conversations of the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. We're a city that literally rebuilt itself after the IRA bomb exploded in Manchester City Centre in 1996. While the city continues to grow brick by brick, we know that what makes it great are the people that come together day in and day out, even if it is via video call right now. One of those people is Karina Jadav. Karina is responsible for bringing two brand new concepts in the hospitality scene to Manchester in neighbourhood and menagerie. Everything that we would want as a city, I think we've got here. We've got vibrant dining. You can't compare any other city outside of London to Manchester in terms of our offering. If you're a Mancunian woman, it's highly unlikely you won't have a picture of yourself on your camera roll in the bath with the balls. I have. But it's not all about Instagram. It's also about a lot of hard graft. Karina, thanks so much for coming to join me on We Built the City. Thank you for having me. So Mark Radcliffe famously referred to Manchester as a city that thinks a table is for dancing on. You pretty much made that compulsory as founder and owner of Neighbourhood and Menagerie. How did you create an atmosphere like that? It's so crazy thinking about it like that because it feels like a lifetime ago to me. But um, it was funny because when I first ever got up on a table in Neighbourhood in 2012 and started dancing everybody looked at me like I was absolutely mad but they quickly joined in and I was sober I didn't used to drink so I remember just being like god I just I'm just gonna have to lead the way let's just get on with it which um was just it got the party going really everyone loved it because it was like coming off the back of the recession and everybody was just ready to go wild so that's obviously not the only way that we created the atmosphere but it was such a big part of almost like just breaking the rules people felt like they were breaking the rules and it was just a bit more exciting than sitting at a table with a white tablecloth and having a really formal meal at the time it just felt like it was the right time and the right place it felt certainly that when you're in there you just didn't know when the party was just going to erupt and that was always the element of surprise you just never knew when it was going to happen Never knew when that crazy sober girl was about to get up and start dancing on her own. <laughs> so both Neighbourhood and Menageries have offered something very different to Manchester's nighttime scene. Where did you get your inspiration from? So obviously um, with Neighbourhood, it wasn't that we just jumped into full service dining like that. We'd started off working counter service trailers building our way up to that so by the time we got to neighborhood it was originally supposed to be a burger concept because that was the cool thing to do at the time and it was really big in london so we um went to new york for a week and ate burgers and i used to have this itinerary every trip that we do like that even now i have an itinerary of places and it's literally like five or six places a day so we're eating four burgers a day like 100 percent and Honestly, every day that I went to go and eat burgers, I got hungrier because I wanted more burgers because my stomach was obviously stretching. It was amazing. And um, we got back and we looked at the unit again, which was in spinning fields and realized that it wasn't going to work. So we had to move into the unit across the way, which was too big for what we wanted to do as bur- with burgers. <laughs> Sounds crazy now. And um, we looked back and reflected on what we'd seen in New York. And I think the real follow through there was that there was lots of social dining. Everything was about tapas style, family style dining, 
eating, talking, um, lots of vibrance. So what I later called vibrant dining, live music, entertainment, and just everything was very, very exciting and new to me. So I was like, why don't we just base it on New York, on all the different neighborhoods we've seen, it can have Mexican food, Asian food, French food, American food, um, but it will be the way that they serve it, the way they present it, and the way that it is supposed to be shared between the table. So that's why it was called Neighborhood. It was based on the neighbor, uh, the neighborhoods from New York. And it was definitely a little bit of a shock to everyone's system when it first opened. I remember big players on the hospitality scene kind of coming in a year or so later and just saying, we honestly didn't think you would have survived or you would have made it this long. Um, but I just think people were hungry for something different. And it, like I said before, it was good timing. I think the idea of sharing food to Mancunians was actually a novel concept because we brought to in Manchester, you tell to eat everything's on your plate, not on somebody else's plate. Yeah. Who helped you to achieve it? Such a massive kind of uptaking, really, was it? Did you have much support in the Manchester community to help you get in that unit? Um, well, at the time, we'd, we had, we'd worked our way kind of through different aspects of hospitality and figured things out as we'd gone along. And I have to say, I previously was a journalist um, and worked in broadcasting. I had no hospitality experience, no um, business experience. And I learned literally everything from my then partner. He taught me everything about business and was the best teacher that I could have asked for. Um, and so for me, I would say I got to that point because I had somebody to learn from and somebody um, that supported I could come up with creative ideas and he wouldn't laugh them down he'd be like that's a really good idea let's do it but beyond that we were lucky that the landlord saw what we were doing in the American barbecue restaurant and decided that he quite liked what we were doing he liked independent businesses he was used to the kinds of concepts that we wanted to bring into Manchester so he was quite excited by that as well so that definitely helps. But beyond that, I think at that point in time, a lot of people in the city were just like, who the hell are these two young people who don't have a clue what they're doing? Um, where have they appeared from? I mean, and also it was such an unapologetic arrival. It was so bold. There was just a unit there and everyone's going, what's going in that unit? And then you arrived and it just felt like one day you were there. And then that was just a staple the name neighborhood just captured everything because even though it was a bar in the middle of a really bustling part of the city, it just felt like your local pub because you go in there and all your friends have been there. It doesn't no matter what time of day you have friends in that place. And it was that was a great time. It was the perfect timing, but it was a special concoction because people were just kind of waking up again, weren't they? And it just there was a magic to it that you can't you can't buy and you can't force. It just happened quite organically. Um we put everything in place for it to happen. When I go and talk to um, women in business and do kind of that side of things now, I always talk about the formula for vibrant dining and what I thought we'd really hit the nail on the head with neighborhood was all the different elements that we brought in to make people feel relaxed enough to let their hair down and, and you know, share those kinds of experiences. But I do think as well, it, it was just an exciting time in the city for everybody kind of coming back out from hibernation. Mm. Well, I think you said that 2008 was the busiest or the, the most successful on record in hospitality after the recession that summer. I think I was speaking to some other operators and 
I don't remember this. I think we opened Southern Eleven in 2009. They were saying that it was absolutely wild and it was ridiculously busy because of the recession. People weren't going away. So they were spending their money in the city, which is a good news for us now, you know, in the mm. current period. Mm. I was on a webinar before and there's a there's general consensus that people just can't wait to get back into a restaurant or a bar. So that's good to hear. Were you taken aback by its success? Did you have any idea that it was going to be such a, a massive hit? We were completely shocked. I think we'd struggled through for the first two years with the quick service unit in the Arndale and the restaurant that we had in Spinning Fields um, and even the trailer. It was always a struggle and it was always like a lot of, it felt hard work. That was an important lesson because when it's right and it's working as it should do, it falls into place and it doesn't feel as much of like you're pushing against a closed door all the time. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. And so when you split up with your partner, you left Neighbourhood, didn't you, 18 months or so after you tidied up all the loose ends. How did it feel when you walked out of there for the last time? You know, it was very, very difficult for me because that had been a home to me. Um, The people I worked with, I was very close with a lot of them. And it as well, like during the time that we were separated, that was a crutch. Work for me was a crutch. And so I just put everything I had into the business. And it was weird that I did that because I knew that I was coming out of the business ultimately. And I knew that there would be a day when I couldn't go back in. But I kept going with it. I was almost like driven like a bit of a mad person to keep going. Um, And I knew I'd had a build up knowing that I wouldn't be going back in again and it would be over. But um, when I did actually finally leave and I knew that it was all done for me, I felt absolutely lost at sea. I didn't know what the hell to do with myself or where I was going to go next. Um, And it was a very, very lonely time. And I think a good learning experience, you know, I realized who my friends were and just had to learn to toughen up a lot and and not care what people thought or what people were saying. There was a neon that we put in at Neighbourhood called the best view of heaven is from hell. And I always say that for me, that was that moment. It was like... I'd created something with somebody else that was amazing and it was so special to me and I absolutely loved everything that we did there. You know, I put my heart and soul into it and walking away from it was just like gut-wrenching. It was Mm. just like, right, who am I then if I'm not this, if that's not what I'm doing now? Yeah, I can imagine a complete kind of attack on your identity and, and there was so much of you in there, wasn't there? I mean, that was really evident for everybody to see. Did you have a clear vision of what you're going to do next? Where, what, where did that kind of come from? What are the next steps for you? Um, I didn't have a clear vision. I felt, I knew that I wanted to stay in hospitality and my self-esteem had taken a massive battering. So I was going around and speaking to other people in hospitality um, and my friends who had their own businesses and just really bouncing ideas around with people. Ultimately, I knew it wasn't right to go and work for somebody else again when I'd been working for myself absolutely loved it really flourished and I knew that I could do it it's just I was a bit wobbly at the time I was really fortunate that Tim Bacon literally at the right exactly the right time 
was talking to me about working together and in the end he did actually give me a really good push and and gave me a little bit of confidence again you know believed in me and made me feel like okay this person that I massively respect and look up to um thinks that I can do this and thinks that I'm actually good at what I do which was just it sounds so silly to say that but I'd had the stuffing knocked out of me so much that I really didn't have that confidence and I needed that I needed to hear that from somebody else off the back of that I went on holiday <laughs> um, but it was, <laughs> it was another, but it wasn't a proper holiday it was one of my trips where I had an itinerary so the people with me didn't realize what they were in for when every oh, <laughs> literally every item on the menu arrives and I'm like right you've got to try everything um and they're like oh my god it, that sounds amazing it's not amazing when you do it for like four meals a day people are just like please no more food we want to go and sunbathe we want to go and relax I'm like no um where did you go we went to Miami so went to Miami and then we went to New York yeah, we ate lots of food and went to lots of clubs and drank a lot. <laughs> you, once, you you did drink at that point, then I take it you started yeah, drinking. Yeah, I started drinking. I started drinking when I worked at Neighbourhood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so when I was there, I just it just inspired me again. It always inspires me to go back to restaurants and bars that I really enjoy being in and they're doing something different, something that I've not seen before, how they've moved things forward. And I think the US is so good for that in terms of they, they're definitely at the forefront of vibrant dining. It just gave me lots of ideas again and I had fun and I was happy and I was enjoying myself. And I think that's when you are best at coming up with ideas. So off the back of that, um, I realized that Menagerie couldn't just be a copy of Neighborhood or Victor's. It had to be its own entity um, and it had to be more. It had to bring more to the table and I was going to have to work 10 times harder to prove myself and to win people over with it. It was interesting at the time because some people were saying she's just going to go try and go head to head with Neighborhood. She's never going to pull it off. And for me... It was one of those total moments where you thought, you know, I will watch me, and you, and you did, and you pulled it off, and it was very, very different. It was very female orientated as well. You didn't try and copy neighbourhood because you'd done that, hadn't you? You needed to move mm. on from there. A lot of menagerie, and this isn't one hundred percent isn't the way to open a business, but a lot of it for me was very cathartic, and it was very much the headspace that I was in at the time. So it was aimed at women on purpose because for a business reason, but the neon signs and the quotes you know the instagram moments within the restaurant those were all things that i enjoyed and i enjoyed putting together and i enjoy using and i knew it had to be different and i knew everybody was watching to see if i would fail so i thought well if i'm going to do it i've got to go in with a bang and put myself fully out there and see what happens and it's not normal for restaurants to open and be aimed at women which is such a weird thing to say. It's definitely changing. But in 2016, I'd say 90% of hospitality operations were aimed at men because the perception was that men spent more. The average spend would be higher for men. If it was women, you'd have to do it in volume. The average spend would be lower. That's a massive misconception. And it just shows that most operations were run by men. And Menagerie's definitely shown people that there was a massive you know, consumer base that nobody was tapping into. Mm. Um, and that women should be taken seriously, which they weren't being in hospitality at that point in time, really. If you want to know how to build a community that dances on tables, you can find out right here on the We Built This City podcast.
You said that people at the time were very happy to give you their unedited opinions of what you were doing and what you should or shouldn't do. And that must have been hard to deal with because you were obviously a single woman on your own at that point, taking on a very, very bold venture. How did you deal with that? And that did that hurt? Back in 2016, this was, I felt so vulnerable at the time because I really kind of laid my soul bare to everybody with that restaurant. As much as people might not realize it, every tiny thing in there I thought about and probably spent hours in the night, you know, looking at details and thinking, is that the right thing? Is that the wrong thing? Um, And I cared about every element, every single tiny thing. So when people came in and and they were very, very critical, and I think took great joy some people in being quite critical. I took it to heart, and it was it was hard. But yes, it's hard, and yes, it can hurt your feelings. But you can't own a business and be that soft, and you have to learn quite quickly just to filter things. So if something is not useful and it's critical in an unconstructive way, it needs to go and not be in my headspace um, or your whoever's headspace it is. So I learned really quickly to just take what I could use and constructive words that I could improve with and anything beyond that just to let go of. And also just be realistic. Everyone's human. People want to have their say. And not everybody wants to see somebody, especially kind of a female, going and doing something and making their own way. It's not your problem, it's theirs. It's other people's problems. So just mm. deal with it like that. So that was brave. And then also brave that you took it kind of a five-minute walk away on to the other side of the river in Salford, which was like a building site. I mean, you were kind of responsible in the regeneration of that area, weren't you, at the time? Because it was that was such a bold move. But people just walked over, walked around, didn't they? Yeah, I thought at the time it was like going into spinning fields when we'd first gone in there because there was nothing there. And it wasn't at all. It's been really hard work. Um, But the other thing I didn't take into consideration at the time, I never viewed it that I was just across the road from neighborhood. Mm. I was just like, I found a really great unit. Thank (laughs) God. And they've given me a good deal. Great. Um, But it hasn't been as quick of a regeneration as we would have hoped for, anybody would have hoped for. And I think it's been a lot more of a challenge than the units that I'd previously had in spinning fields um but it's a really good learning experience and it's definitely taught me that you can't sit still and we've had to evolve and adapt to figure out how to survive amidst all the different issues that have been thrown our way um so then nothing really feels that major because you're just used to always having things happening Mm. How did you feel when you walked into that massive space the first time and a big kind of empty unit? How did you feel then when you kind of committing to it? I mean, I was really terrified. I was so anxious. I didn't sleep. I hadn't slept for two years, really, going through the divorce. But then at that point, it was just sick to my stomach. Um, Excited and then terrified and then excited and then terrified. But I just knew if I didn't do it, then I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have the nerve to do it. So I had to get on with it. And I kind of just went head first into the whole situation and plowed through. And what do you love most about it, about that industry? Um, For me, it's an industry that's given me the opportunity to be really creative and to constantly come up with ideas and just have fun. It's a really fun, it's a fun industry to work in. 
Um, people don't realize, and I don't think enough kind of credit is given to those that work within it, but it's a brilliant place and there's so many great people. It's different every single day. And obviously incredibly resilient. And I think the past five years of Menagerie, there's been a challenge a year, hasn't there? So notwithstanding the pandemic we find ourselves in now, what was that? You had a hurdle every single year, didn't you? You've got, I've got uh, every year, I'm like, what's, what's going to happen this year? What's now? I think the first year, the road, well, we, nobody moved into the building. We were completely on our own. Um, we were expecting 800 tenants and nobody, there was nobody there. So we were in an empty building on a building site for a year. The second year, they closed the roads that led to the building. So people couldn't drive in or access us by taxis. People came. Do not get in the way of a girl on a night out or going for dinner with her friends or any special occasion because they will find us. So <laughs> that's one thing, the power of kind of social media and people with a mission. And then obviously after the Manchester terror attack, it was just horrific for the whole city. It was awful and nobody wanted to be in the city. Understandably, I didn't want to be there. And then the year after I had meningitis and nearly died. So I was, you know, thinking the other day, I was like, every year something happens and it kind of just softens the blow of the previous years. <laughs> and you are waiting for what next, aren't you? But that makes you stronger really in a business sense. What values do you kind of find that you draw on now in times like that? The key thing for me in this whole scenario now and in previous years is that the people that we work with, we're all there for each other. We all support each other and we're like a family. We all rely on each other in whatever way, different ways. But if you don't have those people, you're not going to get through it. Um. And then I think just understanding that these things that we see as problems and that we can really dramatize, that has to be normal to us in business. We have to see that as the norm and just get on with it because that's our job. Our, actually, your job as a business owner is to deal with problems. So if you don't like problems, you're in the wrong industry or the wrong role. I mean, Gary Neville said in a podcast recently, which I thought was so interesting about the whole pandemic and the, the challenges we're facing now, obviously in hospitality and from any business, that you've got to just try and enjoy it, as bizarre as that sounds. You've got to face it. It's coming. It's here. So there's no point running away. You've got to kind of lean into those issues. And then I said to my team the other day, do we want to just kind of scrape through this and come come out bruised and battered and at least we're still alive? Or do we want to lean into it and actually go, we can learn so much through resilience and we can learn about ourselves personally and professionally this time let's you know let's go about this and, and try and smash it and I think that's exactly how you know what Gary was saying I was listening to that podcast when we were on our walk and honestly I needed it I needed to hear that that day it really lifted me up because you need that reminder from people sometimes and I think this is a great opportunity this time that we are all at home is an opportunity to do something to evolve your business to look for a different revenue stream to look at what you've been doing right to look at what you've been doing wrong and for everybody to do some personal development so that for me was absolutely spot on it is what I usually think um, and how I go about things but to hear him saying it and I was just walking past Menagerie I was actually walking over the bridge from Spinning Fields past Menagerie there's a blue sky and I heard him say that and I thought god do you know what yes I've got to like make the most of this and I've got to enjoy it in a way that's maybe a meant to be moment and also you're someone who's pushed yourself so much like you, you know your motto is like a lot of us sleep when you're dead and and probably for you as hard as this is in some ways You've not had a rest for five years, have you? No, I think 
my motto was sleep when you're dead until I got really ill. And then after that, I did slow down a little bit, but I haven't had a rest. This has been the first time, the first time since, I don't know, when I was at uni, maybe, mm. that I've had time. Mm. And it's been so, God, for people, for people that have their own businesses or just people that are doers, it's hard to slow things down and change the pace and find a different way to spend your days. Um, for me, obviously, I've got an eight-month-old who's six months when we went into isolation, into lockdown. Um, and I've never had this time with him like this because mm. I didn't guess a proper maternity leave, which I knew, and that's the life that I've chosen to have. But it's been absolutely amazing mm. to have that with him and to have that with my other half as well. He's been off work, so you know we're like this we'll never get this again and we've got to enjoy it yeah I think I'm getting my maternity leave now mine are 21 and 19 it's taken me this long for it to come see. but at least they can cook you see I it's easier having maternity when they're that age actually I remember when you messaged me saying congratulations so I was like it's really hard and you're like yeah the first year is hard the first year is hard I was like oh yeah I didn't I mean I mean I meant more than one but I thought I have to do, give it you piecemeal it's tough I was like a year a year's hard um it's definitely got you it's easier being at home with him and just all being in the same routine and I think you'll look back on these times as much as they were you know for me terrifying for the first couple of weeks when you just the whole everything you built is falling around your ears and people looking at you with terrified faces and that's your team and your clients um, but I will definitely look back on this time as having with with positivity because I've got something back that was never never in my plan. I never knew that I'd have this time. I think you've been spending a lot of time walking around Manchester. I walked in at the weekend. I was missing it, and I walked in from sale, and it was a beautiful day. The weather's been amazing. But just to come at the city, kind of via Castlefield and all around there, I've never even really seen that view. And it made me feel very kind of emotional about and appreciative of the city because you're like me between one meeting and another and never look up. You know, you don't have time to really absorb what the city is. So, yeah, I think that's been a good thing to take. And you talked about reflecting. I mean, what have you been doing this time in terms of kind of business? Have you had any because you're very obviously you've got a theatrical musical background. Have you kind of been using this as a time of creativity? Everybody else, the first couple of weeks was really scared and anxious. And I was like, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm great. Like, this is amazing. And everything always works out. and It's going to be fine. Mm. So I spent two weeks just having absolute bliss with the baby and Ben and just really enjoying myself and being absolutely terrible, not paying any attention to my business or the emails. Like, obviously, like I said, the first time in probably 10 plus years that I've had that opportunity to be like that. And then the anxiety hit. I just felt completely panicked. And I realized that I had to think about what was going to happen and, and that we couldn't just sit and wait for somebody to tell us what was going to happen and how it was going to work because they wouldn't understand it in the way that we understand our own industry. So I looked at the business and how we could possibly add a revenue stream to keep things going when we would reopen and not have full capacity in the restaurant by possibly providing pop-up parties for people at home where we can deliver things um, post things out to people or we can set them up in Greater Manchester so there was that element of it and then I looked at me um, and my 
partner, Ben, is massive on personal development and constantly learning. Like he his like motto is, you know, you should always be learning. Every day is a learning day. So we started listening to podcasts on our walks and looking at redoing all the leadership training for my management team looking at the training for the staff and how they would engage in a new world that we were going into. Um, And so having a 360 kind of view of everything and trying to stop the panic by being proactive um, and then also getting together with other restaurant owners to use our connections to try and feed information to the powers that be so that we can have some kind of voice and not just sit like sitting ducks because we shouldn't be doing that is there anything in manchester that's lacking on the hospitality scene i think funnily enough manchester is honestly really at the forefront of hospitality in the uk and i don't i think we pretty much have most things everything Mm. that we would want as a city i think we've got here we've got vibrant dining we've got fine dining we've got bars we've got gym bars we've got glorified pubs that are just really fun and wild we've got lots of live entertainment we've got views you can't compare any other city outside of london to manchester in terms of our offering Mm, i agree hospitality is quite a fickle game isn't it and you do find that a new bar opens and everybody goes there and then they'll go to the next one the next one we obviously very focused on relationships at roland dransfield do you think that that's an important part of keeping customer loyalty and what do you do that keeps people coming back through your doors over and over again it does really concern me sometimes to see people opening very close by with exact just straight up copying certain elements of what we do and i think the only way that i can deal with that and and tackle it is to continue to evolve so rather than just sitting still and keeping everything the same and letting people just have the identical um i don't know like cocktail menus or neon signs catwalk performance we have to keep looking for ways to change and to make it more interesting um and to freshen things up and that's important for us anyway as people because if we don't do that we'll get bored if we're bored it's boring so and I think the other side of things is that because we are like a family our team's like a family there's more of a personal feel to it so in every way that we communicate with our customers we are human beings and there's that personal touch to it um even you know everybody gets complaints but I feel like when we get complaints I know that the managers when they're dealing with it will be human beings and explain like this is why that's happened we're really sorry but we're not just blank face kind of brush it off type people we actually do care and your team really cares about you i've seen that in terms of loyalty towards you over the years and you've had team members who've left for various reasons but they've come back is that about your leadership or what is it about your values and your culture that creates that loyalty i've got people that have been with me from neighborhood and they may not have come straight away but it is that family family feel about things and ultimately I might be younger than some of the people that I work with, but prior to having a baby, I've always been a bit of a mum. So if anybody's got, you know, any kind of problem whatsoever, I want to help. That's just, I was brought up by a doctor and a nurse. So I've been brought up in a caring household. And um, God, it's like by osmosis, I just want to do the same, which is almost sometimes a bit of a problem for me, especially running a business. 
But the upside is that you end up with extreme loyalty and people do care and do have your back when you need them to. And if you're mum for so many people, who do you lean on who's been there for you over the years? I've been so fortunate to have really, really um, amazing people around me. But I mean, starting with Ben, he is just such a steady, consistent, calm person. I say he's like a ray of sunshine because I'm very up and down. He's just, you know, he can rationalize everything and and talk me through things. And obviously he's a football coach. So he's like, you're the most difficult person that I've got to coach. <laughs> but I really enjoy doing it. And I'm like, great. I need that. I need somebody to, to say, just don't send that message. Don't send that email. Just take a second. Let's talk about it. And then I've got, you know, my best friends like Nadine Marabi. Um, she's a fashion designer and Helen who works with me, they are just very strong people. Dominique, who owns Man Cub, um, and her husband, Mark. Mark's been amazing with me over the years. He must be sick of me calling his phone and asking for help or telling him that something... It's not asking for help. I'll ring him and say something catastrophic has happened and he'll be like, calm down. You know, I really can't complain. There's not a lack of people. I think that's the thing about Manchester though, isn't it? Like the more you support other people they're mm. going to be there for you as well and you do see it does pay dividends we obviously have the Roland Transfield way which is 15 principles by which we work and hold ourselves accountable are there any on there that resonate with you that kind of are true to your values I, I love them and I want to steal them but I <laughs> really <can>. like <laughs> that might happen um I really like keep it real after every success start again because I think it's very easy to get cocky and to get and to be a bit arrogant about it, you know, like, oh, I've done this and that's amazing. But it doesn't matter. Today's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper. And that's used usually to comfort people, but actually it's also a good reminder that nobody cares and people will forget very quickly. So just stay humble and be a nice human being. Mm. Um, and don't get too full of it because there's more to life than how much money you earn or who you socialize with or any of those things um and mm. I also really like leaders create leaders because mm. I, I just it, the saying that elite you know there's a difference between a leader and a boss is very much what I've experienced I don't I've never got anything out of anybody by talking at them you've got to have empathy for people and you've got to understand why if somebody's behaving in a way that you don't like that there's more to it and there's something else you know what's going on with them that's making them do that and how can you figure it out and help them that's so true and that's something else that Gary said in in the podcast that when they'd had an incident with somebody that had been taking money out of the till of course that's not acceptable but there's always a reason for that that's not necessarily just done out of greed there can be so many personal reasons for somebody being forced or needing to do that it's true it's theft is it I always say to the managers there's always a thief there will always be a thief you'll get rid of one person that's stealing and there'll always be another and they just look at me like I'm paranoid but there is there is always somebody and the sad thing is it's usually that's when you find out that somebody's really struggling or there's like a lot more going on in lives but that's why I, I find it very, very hard to not be too soft and to actually sometimes lay down the law and say that's not acceptable because you want to help people ultimately, but you've also got to say to everybody, I'm not here to be taken advantage of, especially, you know, as much as I don't like to say it, I think as a female managing a team of majority men, 
you have to kind of show that you're not just there as a doormat. So you were born in Blackburn and you came to Manchester University. Do you consider yourself a proper Manx now? Oh, yeah, I, d- I definitely feel like I'm, I feel like Blackburn's just part of Manchester, basically. That's what mm. I tell myself. Definitely am. I suppose it. You are, yeah. you are a proper man. Do you think you'll, so you live in the city now. Do you think you'll ever move out of Manchester? Is this where you see your life and your business life? I think I'll move as far as, say, Worsley. <laughs> so not far. Not it's going to be really hard to get used to not being in the city centre. I've been here for 13 years, longer. Um, and I just love it. I just feel like, the streets I feel like I own the streets in a weird way not mm-hmm. not in a way that I own them but I just feel like they're home to me mm-hmm. so I feel comforted walking through you know the, the city and going up King Street and Market Street I just feel like safe mm-hmm. I really love it I do I, and I miss it so much actually but just walking across spinning fields or up King Street and there's so many people that you can stop and chat to and when we have clients that come up from London and if you walk across town with them they go, I can't believe how long it takes you just to get around the block because you have so many people to stop and chat to. And that's, although working at home is more convenient and there's no rush hour, I just miss it so much. I know. It's the people, definitely. And so which Mancunians have inspired you? Are there any particular Mancunians that stand out for you? Um, do you know what? I have to say, I'm definitely, my friend Nadine, so I know I mentioned her once already, but she does, she's been um, somebody that I've always kind of looked up to in a way. She's like a big sister to me. And she's had such a tough journey with her business and just continued to succeed and keep coming back after being knocked down. So for me, she definitely is. And she's um, Manchester born and bred. But then there's been people that have really reached out and supported me over the last few years, like Sasha Lord, for example, has been just absolutely brilliant with me. Very, very supportive, not to do anybody else down, but sometimes I feel like people don't necessarily listen to what I've got to say or take me seriously in our industry. And I think he's been just very um, kind and actually taken that time, which means a lot. Do you think that's a Mancunian trait? Do you think people are to want to help mainly? It's a northern thing, definitely. But I think in Manchester, you just get it tenfold. Nobody's getting anything from helping anyone else out or connecting anybody or solving a problem. But they just it's a, just a thing that we do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the irony is that a few weeks before lockdown, I was um, had a Q&A about my experience of running an agency for 24 years one of the things we were talking about is in the last recession when it was just impossible to make any money. I just thought we just need to help each other. So don't ask for money. Don't let look for every single bit of new business we can get. Let's just get people together and support each other and make lives better. Um, and then when there is more money in the, in the system, then, you know, that'll flow back in. And, you know, the irony of that, when that's exactly what we're doing now. And Chris Brindley in a podcast a few weeks ago said, people who add value in the coronavirus period will be remembered and those people who don't add value in the coronavirus period will be remembered and I think that is so true but I do think it's a Mancunian trait I think we're all about community and love no it definitely is and I think you're right this period of time definitely is showing people's um, you know, characters. And I think those that really have wanted to um, make the effort and invest in other people and be a support to others will shine on the other side. 
it's karma isn't it it's mm. that's basically what it is mm. but i think in manchester it is there's definitely just much more of a feel for being there for mm. other people and wanting to connect with other people absolutely yeah well i can't wait for the party that's going to hopefully happen this summer karina and i'll be in that bath with those <laughs> with those balls <laughs> You'll have so, to fight me out of it. I, I will, absolutely. <laughs> and so who would you say? Is there anybody that embodies Manchester for you, like a friend? Do you know what? I'm so, I've got so much respect for Andy Burnham at the moment. And I'm just so glad that he is um, in charge because we need that voice. We need that person to speak up for us. And I've been listening to his interviews and I'm just so grateful that we have somebody with common sense that cares about human beings representing us he is the perfect person for now and I really do think he embodies that Manchester spirit really do mm, yeah not bad for a scouser so listen before you go some quick fire Manchester questions what's your favorite Manchester band or artist so oh this makes me sound really a bit sad but simply rad definitely i love simply red but there's also charlotte o'connor i don't you might not have heard of her but she's yeah yeah, yeah. i think she's i know she's she's blackburn she's, but, blackburn, um, she's amazing blackburn and mm. she went to my school and i just think she's just unreal she's got a gorgeous she, voice really amazing other than your own venues which is the which you say the best places for a cocktail in manchester Oh, there's so many places I like to go for um, a little cheeky cocktail. I really <laughs> like to go to Bottega where you can sit and watch people. And that's not, you know, necessarily just for cocktails, but I just love going to places like that. Mm. I always used to go to Anywhere Living Ventures because they are mixologists. They are the best mixologists. And Tim really did set the standard there. So, you know, for a good cocktail, um, I would go to Australasia and have a lychee martini. I just, mm. but I'm, that's really old school. If you're going for, if you're just going for a cocktail, that's, you know, I would go to one of those places. What do you order at the chippy? Definitely pie and chips. <laughs> Definitely. 100%. Nobody said like fish potato and chips. Pie. I don't even like fish and chips. Are you red or a blue? I mean, <laughs> uh. I work with both, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I I don't support either really officially. Um, I support Sheffield Wednesday, so there you go. All ah, right, interesting. So you've had a lot of footballers in neighbourhood and menagerie. Who's the kind of the nicest, politest one you've had in? Um, oh, footballers are all of them are very, very polite. It's not. They're. Do you know what we actually say this? They're some of the nicest customers you can get because they're so well mannered. They don't drink loads. Um, and they're just lovely. We get lots of the city guys and lots of the united guys i love pep guardiola i literally love him i mean i shouldn't i don't even know why i'm saying this now you didn't even ask me i'm just i really love him um ben knows ben works for um city so he's just rolls his eyes at me you see him just walking around manchester just kind of you know? enjoying himself it's really down to work. just with his children and i'm like oh do you remember me and he just doesn't <laughs> just walks past me like i don't exist what was your most starstruck moments out of anybody that you've had in either neighbourhood or menagerie? Oh, definitely Justin Timberlake. It's Justin Timberlake or Drake for menagerie. Mm. We spent a lot more time with Justin. I'm not even going to call him just Justin, Justin Timberlake, <laughs> because I'm not that cool. Um, he was a really nice guy, really fun. Rick got on with everybody. He was like interacting, dancing with everyone. That was great. Um, 
And then at Neighbourhood, it was Miley Cyrus. She was amazing. But I remember it took me a very long time to vinyl all of the windows myself because we had to black out the whole restaurant and I didn't have anyone to do it. They said they dropped the vinyl off. So I was there with a credit card. I'm not joking, (sighs) putting the vinyl on the windows. And then to get it down is obviously also a massive pain. Um, And I cried when Beyonce's dancers were in Menagerie because I was away on holiday and I just saw the videos of them all dancing in sync on the catwalk in front of the bar I was crying then was like Karina you're on holiday stop this that's work stop it I was like no you don't understand what it means to me Beyonce's dancers they've breathed (laughs) you know they've been in her presence god damn it why am I here with you and not there so I don't do well on holiday (laughs) I know FOMO all the time I'm with you what do you miss most about the city when you're not here God, everything. I always want to get home. As soon as I go on holiday, I say, I feel homesick. And poor Ben and anybody else that's with me is like, oh, God, here we go. Um, I do. I miss the people and I miss everything. I miss the streets. I I love this place. I like my little routine here and I like the view of everything. I, I love all the buildings. I don't like being away too much, to be honest. You don't have to worry about that for a while now, do you? No. (laughs) Now that I can't go away, I really want to go away. Karina, thank you so much for joining us today on We Built This City. It's been an absolute pleasure just to take some time and have a chat because when we normally talk, I can't really hear you because we're in such a noisy place having a great time. I've known from working with you that um, although some people may have an opinion of you, that you can just, a nice opinion that you can sit around, have a life of Riley, drink cocktails and float around in that bath. I know that you're often found with a toothbrush in your hand, cleaning some tiles. I also think you're an amazing role model, business person for young people to follow. So thank you for that and look very much forward to after a long rest um, in the pandemic, what we're going to see from you next. Thank you. And Thanks for having me on. I'm proud to have helped build the city um, when it comes to dancing on tables. I think that's a great contribution to have made. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. The best ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take pride in that. Karina Jadav has built this city by not being afraid to take the knocks, by leading with a full heart and by eating her body weight in burgers for Manchester. In the next episode of We Built This City, we have Rose Marley, the award-winning social entrepreneur who is committed to increase opportunities for young people across Greater Manchester. Rose is event director for this week's Greater Manchester Doorstep Sing Along, Together in One Voice. You'll find us here next Thursday. See you then. This is a podcast by Roland Dransfield PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you do want to talk to us, give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years. 0161 236 1122.